All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Man, what a great way to start our time together today. And man, welcome. How are you feeling this morning? You good? Everybody good? All right. Well, hey, my name's Chris. If we have not met, I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and I'm so excited that you decided to join us today. Whether this is your hundredth time joining us or your first time joining us, I'm glad that you're here. In fact, if this is your first time, man, we'd love to just connect with you. You can text the word new to the number on the screen. That's just a way to, to let us know that you're here and we, a real life person, will actually get back in touch with you and just tell you a little bit about Crossroads and who we are. So if you're interested in doing that, please text the number. And, and uh, man, I'm excited for this morning because we're, we're starting a brand new series today. Um, and it's actually our second series through the book of Acts. If you remember last year, we did Acts season one, where we looked through the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. If you forgot where we were, if you were a little bit uh, foggy on what happened last season, I'd encourage you to go back and just read through the first seven chapters. That'll kind of catch you back up uh, to where we are at for this season. But in short, what happened last season is that we saw this incredible movement of God happening, that we saw God moving by his spirit in his church and, and just amazing things happening. I mean, do you remember some of the stories like <clears throat> where thousands of people would come to faith in Christ at a time and, and people were being healed and and, and people who were paralyzed were, were getting up and walking and just this incredible stuff happening. And, and all of it uh, was, was, was written down by a man named Luke. Luke is a guy who wrote also the, the book of Luke, which is a detailed account of Jesus's life. And then after that, he wrote the book of Acts, which is a detailed account of the early church, a detailed account of the apostles and what was going on there at the beginning. And all of it, all that we read in the book of Acts. In fact, if you're looking for some exciting Bible reading to do, read the book of Acts. Like it's just mind-blowing stuff happening page after page. But all of it was propelled forward by these words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, Jude in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now this was monumental. This was a monumental shift. Here Jesus was saying like, look, believers, the Holy Spirit of God, the one that, that, that's been there from before the beginning, like the Holy Spirit of God is going to indwell you. And this was new because before this point, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt a little bitty box in the middle of the temple. That's where he lived. He, he lived in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. But now after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit of God was going to indwell his believers for, for, for a life of power. This is, this is what God is doing. And then he says, by the way, you are going to be my witnesses, not only here in Jerusalem, which is where they were, which is where it started, uh, but in Judea and in Samaria. He's talking about these regions that are around Jerusalem. And he says, finally, until the ends of the earth. And I can just imagine the, the early church hearing these words and, and kind of hearing them through a Western mindset, like a modern today mindset. Uh, we think of that in terms of like, okay, we're going to build out an action plan. 
Like Jesus wants us to start here and it's going to be great. And then we're going to, we're going to grow. We're going to grow to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So man, we got a strength finder coach coming in next week. We're going to all do personality tests. We're going to see where each of us land and, and what we're good at. And, and for those of you who are good at kids ministry, man, we're going to start a kids ministry in Jerusalem. And man, we got a five-year plan to accomplish what Jesus has, has asked us to accomplish. Uh, it's, it's going to be great, right? Like those are all good plans, but have you ever had a plan that just didn't go as planned, right? Have you ever had plans that, that just didn't work out? Some of you might have experienced that recently with maybe some travel plans that got foiled by, by a sickness. Or, or maybe you were, uh, were, were in the recent like cold snap where your flight got canceled or your luggage got thrown into a big pile in the middle of the airport, right? Or maybe you're part of the Denver Broncos and your plan was to actually win some games this season and then you don't, or maybe, I don't know, a couple, but you know, we all have plans that just don't seem to work out, right? And that's what happens in the early church is that things don't go according to plan. Because at the end of chapter seven, we see something shift. Stephen, one of the leaders in the early church, is seized by the Jewish leaders. And he's put on trial, and his trial results in him being stoned to death. And this is where they put him on the ground, they surround him, they all pick up big rocks and start throwing them at him until he stops breathing. This happened. And so all of a sudden, this persecution began to, to, to rise up in Jerusalem, in the early church. And we see this in Acts chapter uh, 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Saul, I'm going to stop right here for a moment. Saul is the guy who later becomes Paul. Paul is the guy who, who became one of the most influential leaders in the church. He, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He planted so many churches. He, he preached the word of God uh, more influential than anybody else. But here he is, before he met Christ, here he is standing. I just imagine him with his arms folded, watching Stephen get stoned, and he's smiling and he's nodding like, yes, I approve. This is who he was. And I just want to make mention of this really quick because sometimes the objection that I hear from people who say, like the whole Christianity thing, that sounds good, but Chris, I, I've, done, I've done too much. Like you don't know my past. I got regrets. Like I got things going on that I wish I didn't. Like you don't know, I've done too many bad things. Well, here's the thing is I, I think that God in part chose Saul to become one of the greatest right? The worst to become one of the greatest. Saul wrote words like this, I'm the chief of all sinners. He's the chief. This guy is the chief. And, and, and I think that when he was writing those words, it was, it was, he, he was having flashbacks to this moment of stoning Stephen. And so if, if anyone is, who's hearing this has that idea that, man, I'm just too far gone, like I have too many regrets. Well, guess what? You're not the chief of all sinners. This guy is. This is the guy. So, so if you're anywhere in between him and, and an angel, like you're good. God's grace is, is bigger. But here's what happens. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering, just imagine this happening, entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And man, I can just imagine the early church going, wait a second, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like we had a plan. We had a five-year plan with 50 goals. It was going to be great. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, Jesus, are you seeing this? Like, are you seeing what's happening? Like, this isn't how the plan is supposed to go. We have a plan. This isn't it. Have you ever, have you ever been there? It continues on in verse four. It says this. Now these, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You see, this persecution rose up. The entire church starts scattering around like a bunch of ants. And they went about preaching the word. And the word here, scattered, is, is literally like the, the word that, that, that the farmer goes into his field with a bag of seed and just starts throwing seed out into the field. This is what was happening. The, the Christians were just being thrown around the world because of this persecution. This is what was happening. And they continued to preach the word. Here's the thing. Tertullian, a, a couple, about 100 years later, one of the early church fathers from North Africa, he says, he, says this, uh, he says this, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. He says, the more you mow us down, the more we grow. For the seed of the church is the blood of of the Christians. Every single drop of our blood springs up in some 30, in some 60, and some 100 fold. I mean, this is this crazy claim that this guy says, right? As he's 100 years later, he's seen a lot of Christians die. And he's like, look, you can't stop us. Jesus already said that not even the gates of hell will prevail against what he's doing that this movement of Jesus is going to push further than, than anything we've ever imagined and nothing's going to be able to stop us. So guess what? You kill us, we're gonna grow even more. You saw us in half, you burn us at the stake, you boil us in oil, guess what? We're going to grow even more. Nothing is going to stop the work of Christ. I mean, who says that? That's some boldness, isn't it? There's this theme that we're going to see throughout the course of these next few weeks of this series. And here's the theme of this season of Acts. It's this, is that the church is the countercultural movement that creates a new kind of human being with new values, new identity, and new community. That this is the work of Christ creating his movement, his church, his, his movement of people that is countercultural. And what it does, the, the message of Christ, it creates a new human being that has new values, right? Like new values. You're going to kill me? Go ahead. That's a new value, isn't it? You're going to kill me? Go ahead. I have new values. I have a new identity. My identity is in Christ, and I have new community. This is this amazing idea that, that, man, you can go to anywhere in the world and meet other believers in Christ, and automatically you have, you have brothers and sisters and people you've never even met before. This is the theme that we're going to see throughout the course of these next several weeks through the book of Acts. But here's what I want to do for the rest of our time today. I want to just look at two characters. We're going to look at two characters in Acts chapter 8 
They're on opposite ends of the, the spectrum, but, but I think there's something here that we can gain from them. These two characters are named Philip and Simon. Philip and Simon. And so first we're going to look at Philip. We're going to look at who Philip was in Acts chapter 8. Verse 5, it says this. So Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now I'm going to stop right there for a moment. All right, Philip, he leaves Jerusalem, scattered like seed because of the persecution, and he goes to Samaria, and as he goes, he's preaching the word of Christ. Not only that, but if you read through the whole chapter, you'll see that he's doing these miracles, like hundreds and thousands of people are coming to faith and being baptized in the name of Christ. People are, are getting up and walking, like this amazing stuff that Philip is doing as he goes to Samaria. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because we've got to say, who is Philip? We've got we to figure out who this guy is. Now, Philip isn't the Philip that walked with Jesus, like one of the 12. This is a different Philip. He's not one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the original 12. What he was, was one of the first seven that was gathered together along with Stephen, the guy that was just killed, in Acts chapter 6. If you remember, they, they got a group of people together to go and to care for the widows in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? They were the first Stephen ministers. That's where we name our Stephen ministry after is Stephen, the guy that was just killed. And, and, and Philip was one of the first seven appointed as a Stephen minister. He signed up to help widows in Jerusalem. You got that? That was his job description. Widows in Jerusalem. He was also a Greek-speaking Jew, which in that time he wasn't welcome in Jerusalem because he was a, a Hellenistic Jew. So he was doubly unwelcome. He was a Greek-speaking Jew and he was a Christian. So he was running for his life. But he ran to Samaria, which if you know anything about Samaria, that was not a friendly place to be. It was hostile as well. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans had hated each other now for the last 800 years or so since the Samaritans have been in existence the Samaritans came into existence when the Jews were, were taken captive uh, in like 700-something uh, B.C., and there they intermarried with the Assyrians, and, and their descendants were known as the Samaritans, the, the half-breeds. That's what they were. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. In fact, if you remember reading in the Gospels, like if, if the disciples or anybody, if the Jews had to, to go to the other side of Samaria, they wouldn't go through Samaria they would take the extra few days to walk around it because they hated them so much. They wouldn't even associate with them. But man, Jesus loved to stir the pot, didn't he? Like these were the people that he would go and sit at the well with the Samaritan woman. Do you remember that story? Or the story of the, the good Samaritan. That's where this came from. Jesus painting the picture as the Samaritan being the one who loved his neighbor. Like Jesus kind of like twisted this a little bit when, 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 during his ministry that, hey, the Samaritans uh, aren't people that you should hate. But there was still this, this feud, this, this hostility between Jews and Samaritans. And so Philip leaves a hostile place for another hostile place. And here we see this theme again, that, that he has new community. The, 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 the work of Jesus creates us to have new community, new identity, and new values, that he can go to Samaria and spread the word of God. And when, and when he does, no longer do they have this division between them. Here's the thing. Christianity should be at the forefront of breaking down any human divisions that we have in our world. There should be nobody better at it than us. There should be nobody better than us, whether, whether those divisions are political or, or racial or economic, whatever the divisions are that we like to have as human beings, 
right? The, 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 those people that maybe you don't like or you don't, you're not very fond of. Here's the thing. Christianity is at the forefront of breaking down these dividing walls, these hostilities, this, these divisions that we see in our world. That's, that's us. That's what we signed up for. That's what Jesus is doing. And so back to Philip. When he left this hostile territory for another one, why did he preach as he went? Have you ever thought about that? Like we read this story and we think, oh, that's nice. Like he goes to another place and preaches the word. Like, but why? I mean, I don't know about you, but if, but if I saw Paul and his thugs like down the street pulling people out of their houses and taking them to jail, and I'm like, okay, Renee and kids, like let's get our backpacks, get whatever you can carry, like we are out of here. Like I got lots of other things on my mind, to be totally honest. I got lots of other things on my mind. Like where are we going to sleep tonight? What are we going to do for food? Like I got to find a new job. We're in a new country, in a new place. But here, Philip... As he is being scattered, he goes about preaching the word. Why? Why did he preach the word? This wasn't a planned outreach. This wasn't even his job description. Remember his job description? Widows in where? Jerusalem. He was not there. He was in some other place. This isn't what he signed up for. His, this, this wasn't a planned outreach where his pastor said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to go to Samaria. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. This, this, this wasn't what he signed up for. So what was it? Why did he do it? Philip preached with power because he loved Jesus. Now, don't let this get lost on you because the idea of, of loving Jesus, sometimes we lose the, the impact of what this means. But, but Philip went in the face of persecution because he loved Jesus. He wasn't a big shot. He didn't have a reputation that preceded him. He was a refugee. <laughs> he was a refugee that was so deeply in love with Jesus that no matter where he went, no matter what came his way, he could never stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things I love doing is uh, going to restaurants. Like I love going to new restaurants and, and trying out new food and, and enjoying some food that maybe I would never make for myself, right? Like, uh, and so a, a couple weeks ago, some friends of ours and Renee and I, we went to this restaurant that we had never heard, uh, never been to before. It's in Broomfield. It's called The Burns. It's like an English style pub uh, restaurant with English style pub food. And man, it's really great. In fact, it's, it's, it's kind of off the beaten path. The only way that I ever heard about it was from other people who had been there. Uh, how many people have been to the Burns? Okay, a few of you. All right. Well, if you haven't, check it out. All right. But here's the thing. We show up there on a snowy Wednesday night in the middle of the week. The place is packed. Now, this isn't like on any major thoroughfare. Um, I don't really see a whole lot of, uh, of marketing around the burns, but, but the place was packed. And I thought, why is it so packed on a snowy Wednesday night? Well, we go in and we, we order some food and we enjoy it thoroughly. It's just this amazing uh, pub fair. And, and, uh, and after we left there, man, I've been telling everybody about it. I've been telling everybody, like I've, I've been telling friends about it, like, oh man, you got to go try this place. Here I am preaching a sermon, including the burns, like hundreds of people are hearing how, how good, like they should give me some kickback, right, on this free publicity they're getting. But here's the thing, the owner of the burns never ever once came to our table and said, I'd really like you to invite people here. I'd really like to, for you to tell people about the restaurant. 
In fact, if, 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 if you're not quite sure what to say, like here's a little track with four points of what you can tell people about what we do here at the Burns. Like I, I never once heard that from the owner. Why, did, why have I told so many people and why am I telling you now about how good the Burns is? Because I loved it. Because it was amazing. It was an amazing experience and I want you to experience the same thing. You see, Philip shared the gospel in the face of being burned to death, stoned to death, in the face of being sawn in half. He shared the gospel because he was deeply, madly in love with Jesus. He had seen and tasted the goodness of God. And he couldn't help, he couldn't help but share it with people. He couldn't help but tell other people about it. It was just this amazing experience that he couldn't, I mean, how much do you have to love something that even in the face of losing your life, it just continues to boil, to, to, to bubble out of you. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, go ahead. Like, go ahead, cut me in half. Boil me in oil. I, I don't care because I have a new set of values. I have a new identity in Christ. Do with me what you want. In fact, every uh, drop of blood that you spill from me is just going to propel this thing even further. And man, this is where it really gets convicting for us, for me. You see, in the church today, we're quieted by much less of a threat, aren't we? When it comes to our faith, when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus with other people, we're quieted for fear of rejection, for fear of being made fun of, for fear of being called names, for fear of making waves, for fear of being unpopular, aren't we? Man, friends, may we be inspired by the fire and the passion and the bones of the early church that even in the face of death, they couldn't help but share the love of Christ. So that's Philip. That's who Philip was. That's what he did. We're going to see more about him in the coming chapters. The other character as we close our time here is, is a man named Simon. Simon is a Samaritan. He's this hugely influential man in Samaria. He's the kind of guy who's, who's charismatic and, and like everybody loves him. He, he, he's a leader. He's influential. Everybody listens to him. This is who Simon was. He's also known as Simon the Magician. You see, Simon made his living by sleight of hand tricks. He made his living uh, maybe even by demonic magic tricks. But this is how Simon would, would do it. He would go into a crowd like this and he'd say, gather around. Hey, you right over there, give me five silver coins and in two years, your business will be profitable, right? This is how he made his money. He's kind of a slime ball sort of guy, this, this sneaky guy. And in Acts chapter eight, uh, verse 18, we hear more about him. You see, he comes to know Jesus Christ. Before we read these verses, he hears Philip's words. He sees what Philip is doing, and he comes to faith in Jesus, right? Which we think, hey, that's, that's great, right? Like the most influential guy, the most slimeball, kind of sneaky guy in Samaria comes to faith and is baptized in the name of Jesus. Like that's a huge win, isn't it? Here's the problem, though, is that Simon, Simon had this ulterior motive. Simon's motive was, man, if I can get the power that Philip has... If I can get the power that, that he's doing, then I'm just going to add that to my repertoire. I'm going to have another tool in my belt that I can make more money. 
You see, it was all about self-preservation. And so the, the apostles back in Jerusalem hear what's going on, that, that Philip's having this huge impact. And so Peter and John decide to go to Samaria to meet up with Philip, to help him out, to pray for the Samaritans. And this is what happens in verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And here's how Simon replies. Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, here's, here's what I want to say about Simon. Simon was kind of a sneaky guy. And, and if you ever have a vice named after you, like that's a bad sign, all right? Simony is a thing where, and, and we've seen it plenty of times over the, the history of the church. Simony is where you're, someone tries to, to buy authority or to, to buy position in spiritual authority by, by money. But it could also look like trying to earn authority by other things. Here, here's how simony might look today is I'm going to make sure that I serve uh, in these areas of ministry, but the motivation of my heart is really so that other people think that I'm important or that other people see me serving and think that I'm godly or that I'm humble or, or that I'm special. You see, that's simony, right? That's what, that's what the vice is named after Simon because Simon just simply wanted to use the Holy Spirit. Simon wanted to simply use Jesus for his own gain. You see, his heart wasn't in it. His heart wasn't really surrendered to Jesus. He just wanted self-preservation and self-promotion. He didn't want Jesus for Jesus. He just wanted Jesus for what he could get from him. But before we dog on Simon too much, I just want to say this, is that every single one of us who follow Jesus we all came to him for what he could give us, didn't we? Like, let's just realize for a moment that every single one of us who followed Jesus, we came to him for what we could get from him, right? That's not a bad thing. Like, like for some of us, maybe we became aware of our guilt and in Jesus, he gave us forgiveness, right? It's a good thing. Or maybe some of us, we were, we were sad and, and, and we came to Jesus and he gave us comfort. Or we were lonely and we came to Jesus and he gave us intimacy and community. Like, why did you come to faith in Christ? What was it that he offered you that, that finally tipped you over the edge? Sometimes it could look like this. Jesus, I'll follow you so that, fill in the blank. Jesus, I'll follow you so that I'll have a happy life, so that I can go to heaven. Like, that's a big one. I'll follow you so that I'll prosper. I'll follow you so that, that you'll take care of my kids, that we can avoid some really hard times. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'll go to church. Like, I'll, I'll give my money in the tithe. I'll follow you so you'll bless me. Like, here's the thing. That is Simon faith. That is Simon love. And that's where we all start out. We all start out as Simon in Simon faith. 
in it for the benefits. However, our faith has to grow. Our faith, our love for Jesus has to grow from Simon love for Jesus to Philip love for Jesus. On one side, it's loving Jesus for what he can give us. On the other side, it's loving Jesus despite anything we get from him. You see, it's growing past the point of, of just the benefits and, and getting rooted and grounded in love for Jesus Christ. I encounter Simon faith all the time. Here's what Simon faith looks like that I encounter today. It's, it's when people who have been following Jesus for a while and something bad, like tragic happens in their life and they come to the point to where they say, okay, I've been there, done that. This Jesus thing must not work. Like Jesus must not be good. He must not be powerful. He must not care for me as much as uh, they, they say that he does, but, 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 but I'm going to walk away from it. I've been there, done that. That's Simon faith in it for the benefits. But when the benefits don't seem to pay out, I'm out. And what if the apostles who were facing persecution had that, had that faith? They see Stephen get stoned to death. Okay, I'm out. You see, friends, our faith, our love for Jesus has to grow past loving him for the things he can give us to loving him for who he is. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I hesitate to even say this because oftentimes when we hear this, we think, okay, I'm just going to love Jesus more. Like I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to do more things. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to give more. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up to church more. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to muster up enough strength to love Jesus more. And if that's your response, I want to I give you a break for a moment because that's not how we do it. How do we love Jesus more? How do we cultivate that affection for him, that deep down love for Jesus? Here it is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He says this, we love because why? He first loved us. If you want to grow in your deep down love for Jesus, it starts by allowing him to love you. Did you know that? That's how good our God is. That's how good our God is, is that he wants to love you. If we want to have Philip type love deep down in our bones, it comes from experiencing his love. Have you ever experienced his love? Have you? Do you remember? Do you remember what that was like? And I, and I don't just mean those of us who know about it. Like a lot of us, we've heard sermons, we sing songs, we could list off all the verses, right? Like John 3.16, like I, I learned that when I was a kid. Of course God loves us. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you experienced God's loving gaze on you? Sometimes we inoculate ourselves to the idea of God's love for us because we know too much about it without experiencing it. So when was the last time? When was the last time you experienced God's smile? When was the last time you experienced his acceptance of you? When was the last time in a season of chaos or in a season of grief or in a season where those dark corners of your heart where the, where the cracks of your character sort of rise to the surface and he still looks on you with Love, friends, we are invited into this ocean of God's love. 
We are invited to, to, to experience God's love in, in new ways. And as we do, in turn, we can love him back. As we do, we can love him like Philip loved him. A faith that's so deep that nothing can shake it. I mean, doesn't that sound nice? I don't get why people aren't coming in droves to faith in Christ because who doesn't want a love that will never break up with you? Who doesn't want a love that will never cheat on you? Who doesn't want a love that is not self-serving, that is not arrogant? Who doesn't want a love that will leave you wanting? Who doesn't want a love that will never, ever mistreat you? Friends, that's what we're invited into, is this ocean of God's love. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and I'm going to start off with a prayer that Paul, who was Saul, prayed for you. Did you know that he prayed for you? In Ephesians chapter 3, he says these words. Would you pray with me? And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. To reach out and experience the breadth, to test its length, to plumb its depths, to rise to the heights, to live full lives full in the fullness of God. God, that is our prayer. God, we want to love you with an unshakable love. God, we want to love you for who you are, not just what you can do for us, not just what you can give us, not what you can uh, protect us from. We want to love you for who you are. God, would you cultivate that in us? God, would you cultivate a Philip type of love in us? God, that we would be rooted and grounded that no matter what comes our way, that we are unshakable, not by our own experience, not by our own strength, but we are unshakable because of your love for us. God, we're so grateful for that. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you maybe prayed that prayer for the first time, you want to take a step in accepting and in putting your faith in Christ, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to just walk with you in that. You can text the name Jesus to the number and a real person will get in touch with you and, and celebrate with you and pray with you. Every weekend, we spend time remembering the sacrifice of Jesus with communion. You have a cup of, uh, with bread and, a, and juice in it and as we do today, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, let's just take a moment of quiet. And as we do, realizing that we are holding a symbol of God's love in our hands. Like this is how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to let his body be torn apart and his blood be poured out for you. Let's take a moment and and just think on God's love for a moment. It was the night before Jesus was crucified and he took the cup 
and he took the bread and he passed the bread around and he said, this is my body given for you because I love you. Whenever you eat of it, remember, let's remember together. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood for forgiveness for all who believe, poured out for you because I love you. Let's remember together. We're gonna spend a few moments now just responding to God and his goodness. We're gonna spend a few moments singing and worship together. If you would like prayer during this time, we're gonna have people over here who'd love to to pray with you about whatever it is that's going on in your world. Um, But would you stand together as we sing?